Holy Spirit to us, God, that your presence would dwell with us, that we would sense you, that we would feel you in this place. God, we thank you so much that you came in Jesus Christ, God, that that you cared enough to experience our pain, our suffering, God, so that you can look at us in the deepest times of trial, in the deepest times of pain, God, and say, I know, I understand. And I pray that in this time, as we hear your word proclaimed, God, that, that what we hear now would not be my words, but would be yours spoken to our very hearts and our minds, that in this time, God, that we would understand you a little better, God, that we would understand what you meant through Jesus Christ, that we would be able to say, I know, and I understand. God, give us understanding today. We pray for it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. If you remain standing now as we read these words uh, from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, chapter 50, uh, these words are the story of Joseph and his brothers. Let us read these together. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Fine. Okay, fine. But I got to say, technically, I didn't even do anything wrong. What? You, you didn't do anything wrong? I, I said I didn't technically. Okay, well, let's put aside the fact that you accidentally picked up my grandmother's ring and you accidentally proposed to Rachel. Why can't I just stop you right there for a second? When people do this, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> <clears throat> you were saying... And I can even understand that you couldn't tell Rachel. But why couldn't you tell me? Huh? You had all day to, and you didn't. I know, I should have. I'm sorry. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? You know, like somebody has wronged you before and something has happened and somebody just made a clear decision to hurt you or maybe even not a clear decision, but something they did inadvertently hurt you and, and it came time for them to apologize and they, and they gave you that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, right? You ever heard that? Like, I, I'm sorry, but this had happened and tried to explain all the reasons that, th- that this happened or, you know, I'm sorry, but really, you know, th- this other person is really at fault and, and it's really one of those, those half apologies and you know, it, it's really hard to receive that. And we're left in those positions of, of what to do next. You know, how, how does forgiveness work into this thing? Uh, how does forgiveness work into to following Jesus and this Christian life that we, have, that we have decided to follow? How does forgiveness work into that? And, and, and I think uh, the story of Joseph and the, the book of Genesis, really the entire Bible speaks about um, our, our actions. You know, what do our actions actually say about us? Uh, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, if it helps guide you through, uh, if you're one of those people who, who you know, remembers things by writing them down, we've, we've got those for you to fill in some blanks. And uh, today, you know, I've got, I've got some good news um, that you um, are not, your, your worst deeds do not define you, right? Your worst deeds do not define you, amen? 
Amen. Our, our worst deeds do not define us. We are not our actions. That the things we have done are simply that. They're things that we have done. They, they don't, you know, describe us. They, they don't define us. And, and that's really good news. And we're really quick to receive that. And we're really quick to remind others of that. And, and I have some other news. I wouldn't necessarily call it bad news, but it's not as good as news as the first news that we received, right? I, I have some, uh, some not so good news that others' worst deeds don't define them, Right? Okay, so if we're not going to be known by our worst deeds, then, then others are not going to be known by their worst deeds as well. And that, that's how this, this whole thing works. And I think, you know, we're, we're really quick to, to forgive ourselves, but we're not necessarily so quick to forgive another. Have you ever noticed this? Uh, maybe, you know, you've been at work and, and uh, you know, and, and, and you're at a, like maybe a staff meeting or just like a, a large group meeting and, and you find out that somebody else has messed up. You know, somebody else has done something wrong and, and, you know, maybe even like the boss or whoever's in charge is just like laying into them. And, you know, and, and at best in those times, what we're thinking is, you know, I'm glad that's not me, right? Have you ever felt that? Church, you felt that right before that, that feeling, I'm glad it's not me. Or, or what's worse is that we've capitalized on it and we've said, yeah, you know, you, you shouldn't have done that, you know, but when it's us who's messed up. When it's us, you know, we quickly explain it away and say, oh, you know, well, I, I was just really busy or, you know, th- these things were happening that caused me to do this and I'm sure everything will be fine. All I got to do is not make sure that nobody knows about it or, you know, really this person should actually forgive me quicker because of this and that. We're really quick to forgive ourselves, but we're not necessarily so quick to forgive someone else. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's, if you've ever experienced, if you have children, you've experienced this, you know, um, it, I have a, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And uh, Saturdays are an incredible blessing, um, but they, they also are an incredible curse, right? Have you ever had that? So like Saturdays are great, um, but there's that time, that thing that happens maybe about 3 p.m. for me on, on Saturday afternoon, you know, when I've been asked for a snack 500 times and, and, you know, the kids are just like wearing on your patience and like these things have happened and it's been an entire day and, and it's just been like the longest day possible and you can't imagine like why is it three o'clock right now? It should be like midnight and, and, and like Saturday has drug on and drug on and finally you snap, right? Finally, you, you, you know, you, you snap and you raise your voice at your kids and you just say, no, you can't have a snack or no, you can't, you know, just watch TV or no and and, and, and you raise your voice, and, and it kind of escalates in that moment. And, and, and immediately after that moment is over, we do this self-rationalization, right? We try to rationalize our own actions and say, well, you know, it's, it's been a long day. I've been really stressed at work. You know, uh, the kids just ask me over and over again. You know, this happened, this and that. And, and we, we are really quick to forgive ourselves. But if anyone else ever raises their voice at our children... Right? No, that's, that's a bad thing, right? And, and we're really quick, you know, there's no excuse for that. And, 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 and all these things start happening, and we're really quick to forgive ourselves, but we're not so quick to forgive others. Or, or maybe, you know, you've, you've heard uh, that that neighbor, or that friend, that coworker, whoever it is, that person might struggle with an addiction. Whether it's alcohol or, or drugs or pornography, and, and we, we learn that they have this addiction, and and, and we want to think that we might feel sympathy for that person or maybe even empathize with that person, but most of the times we might just feel pity and maybe even look down on that person a little bit. But we're really quick to forgive ourselves. Maybe when we take you know, that painkiller that we didn't necessarily need, but we wanted to feel better just for a little bit longer, or maybe we had that, that drink that was maybe one too many 
We're really quick to forgive ourselves. We're really quick to offer ourselves this, this, this type of like what we can call quasi-grace, right? This thing that we offer ourselves but aren't really quick to extend it to anybody else. And um, there was this theologian uh, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German Lutheran priest uh, during uh, World War II, and he saw the rise of Hitler, and he was really quick to speak out of, against him. And, and if you ever get to read anything by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you should, um, mainly because he has, you know, the, uh, the most German-sounding name. Um, but uh, that was a joke, friends. Come on. It's, I know it's Memorial Day. We can get through this together, friends. We're going to get there, okay? Um, so here, here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer teaches, that we are quick to forgive ourselves, but we're slow to forgive others. And, and this, is, this is how he says it, right? He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the, the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is without discipleship, grace without the cross. And we're really quick to offer this cheap grace to ourselves. And say, you know what, I, I, I deserve this. I don't actually need to repent. I actually don't need to voice it. I don't need to, you know, confess to, to anyone or say I'm sorry to anyone. I, you know, I might even need to not say sorry to God, but, you know, maybe I can just quickly forgive our, myself. But if there's anyone else out there who's wronged me, I will keep this list, right? I, I will keep this tally of anybody else who has ever wronged me. And what we learn, friends, is that is death. That leads to suffering. That leads the hell on earth that we can't live that way. And it's what we learned from the story of Joseph, right? If you've ever gotten to read uh, or hear about the story of Joseph, maybe if you've been around church for a while, or even if you haven't, you know, we've kind of heard of this story of Joseph. Um, the story of Joseph gets um, taken uh, by some popular writers, uh, turned into the, the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Maybe you've heard of it. That's kind of what most people's mind goes to is, is the coat that Joseph wears, Right? His father, Jacob, loves Joseph very much, and, and he gives him this coat. The Bible translated it as, as maybe a coat of many colors. Um, and some other different translations come in, but this is the one we've kind of stuck to, is the coat of many colors. And if you've ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, you might have seen images like this. You know, um, it, Maybe it was you know, something like this, or, or maybe not. And, and I really think it's interesting um, that you know, uh, scriptural integrity was really important for the writers of Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat, because clearly Elvis was included in the book of Genesis and um, he, he got in there somehow, right? Like, so, um, but it's this really interesting story. Joseph, if you ever get to read through Genesis, uh, it starts about chapter um, uh, 38, and, and it's, it continues for uh, Joseph, uh, this character, one of the sons of Jacob, who will later be called Israel. And Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob, and, 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 and Jacob loves him very much. And, and, and he, uh, when he is born, Joseph gives him, uh, Jacob gives him this name, Joseph. And Joseph, would actually, which actually means the Lord will increase or add. The Lord will increase or add. And, and if you read throughout the Old Testament, you learn that um, most characters in the Bible, their name means something. Their name means something about who they are or what they will do. And, and I find that really fascinating. You know, if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever had children or even if you've had a pet and, and you pick this name, right? And, and one of my worst fears is, you know, when we had, uh, especially, you know, our first daughter, Anna, that I was terrified this name wouldn't stick. You know, this name wouldn't describe my daughter, Anna. And, and, and at first, you know, it was just kind of like this foreign thing, you know, like to, trying to describe this thing. But if you've ever had children, or even if you've named something you know, like a pet or something, you've learned how, how that person or that animal has lived into that name. You notice that, that, that it gets to the point whenever they get older that you couldn't imagine calling them anything else, that they actually live into that name. They find that they actually describe that name. They fulfill that name. 
And, and the Old Testament characters are no different, that, that Joseph, and through Joseph, God will increase God's people, that God will increase God's blessing, that, that through Joseph, God will do all of these things. And so jo- Jacob loves Joseph very much, and he, and he gives him this code, and, and, and you know, Jacob just runs out in front of his brothers, and he says, look at this code, isn't this neat? You know, uh, our father gave this to me because he loves me so much. And, and then he also tells his brothers, you know, um, I, I also had a dream. And, and, you know, the brothers kind of rolling their eyes at this point, and they say, okay, what was your dream? He said, well, I dreamed that, you know, I was raised up, and you were all bowing down before me because I ruled all of you. And, and that's not something you want to say to all of your older brothers. And, um, and so at that time, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, um, they actually, they beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and while they were trying to decide how to kill Joseph, um, one of the other brothers actually sold him into slavery. And so he finds himself in prison um, uh, for as long as two years in prison, and while he was there, uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has uh, a dream, has this dream, and he wants somebody to, to interpret it, and he goes before his magicians, and he, and he says, you know, I had this dream. I want you to interpret it. And they say, okay, well, well, tell me the dream. And he says, no, if you're magicians, you should be able to tell me the dream and then interpret it for me, right? And they say, well, uh, we can't do that. And, you know, he says, well, you better find somebody who can. And so they go searching everywhere for somebody who can uh, not only tell Pharaoh the dream that he had, but also interpret it for him. And so Joseph ends up being the one who, to interpret uh, the dream of Pharaoh and he predicts Egypt seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so if you read throughout Genesis, you read that, that Pharaoh has these succession of dreams, all proving the fact that Egypt will, will have seven years of plentiful crop, right? They will have seven years of abundance where they will receive double what they normally received from their crop. And Joseph said, this is going to be a great thing. It's going to be an incredible blessing. But after those seven years are over, your crop will actually receive half of what you used to receive in the first place. And you will have a severe famine across the land. And Joseph said, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. All you have to do is store half the crop you received for the seven years of plenty. And so everything will be like normal. You just, you know, you don't increase at all. You, you just take half of, you know, the double crop that you've received. You store that. And so when the famine comes, you can actually um, live, you know, live on, on this seven years of famine. And, and Pharaoh was blown away by this. He said, you know, surely this is a prophet. And so he puts him in, like, as this, like, secretary of agriculture kind of position, like, one of the people who were really close. In fact, uh, the scripture says that he was second in command. Now realize how incredible that was. Joseph is a Hebrew. He is this foreigner. He was in prison just, like, a chapter ago, and here he is being second in command in Egypt. And, and, and it's while he's second in command that, you know, the seven years of plenty happen, and they store all the crops, and then the famine comes. And when the famine comes, all of the people have to come before Joseph to receive their crop, right? To receive this stuff that they've stored for the last seven years. And so Joseph is in second in command in Egypt when his brothers come to him during that famine. Now realize, they don't know where Joseph is. They, they, they think he's long gone, that maybe he's even dead, right? That they have no idea where he is or what he's doing, not only to think that he might be second in command to Pharaoh, and so here Joseph is kind of hiding right in front of his brothers, and, and his brothers come before him and request this food, and he said, well, I won't, you know, I won't give you this food until you bring all of your brothers and all of your family here before me. And so there's this you know, long kind of drawn-out process where Joseph kind of plays with them for a while, right? Not really conveying, uh, uh, conveying who he is, and, and, and so for a while his brothers are going back and forth trying to get everybody before uh, Joseph, and, and finally when they do, 
Joseph reveals himself to him. And he says, I'm, I'm your brother whom you sold into slavery. And, and his brothers are shocked, right? They don't know what to do. They think, well, what's going to happen to us? And Joseph says, don't worry, I'll take care of you. And so they all live with him in Egypt, including Jacob, Joseph's father, until finally uh, Jacob uh, passes away. He dies from a ripe old age, and, and at that point, his brothers start to worry again because they think, well, I wonder if Joseph was just keeping us alive for the sake of our father, that what is he going to do to us now that, that our father is gone? Maybe, maybe he's just going to off us all now that, that our father is gone, and it's at that point that Joseph forgives his brothers. It's at that point that, that Joseph forgives his brothers, and he says those words that we read together that his brothers fall down and weep before him and said, we are all here as your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. He said, am, am I in the place of God? And he says this to him, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for what? Good. Let's do it together. Even though you intended harm to me, God intended it for what? Good. Good. Right? Even though you intended harm to me, God intended it for good. And, and I, I was praying about this scripture this week and thinking about this, and I thought, you know, if the only thing we had was the book of Genesis, if, only the, if this was the only book we had to, to guide us, friends, we could get to the story of Jesus Christ. We could get to the story of redemption. Because Joseph says that even though somebody might have intended us harm, God intends it for good. Friends, that's the story of the resurrection. That, that, that death intended to do us harm. That, that death intended to end us, end our life, end our story forever. But God takes it for good. God takes it and does something with it. Friends, that's good news for us. That, that, that I believe that, that when bad things happen to us, when, when evil comes to us, friends, that it's not God just actively causing bad things to happen. That, that, that in, in, in the face of, uh, of disease or famine or whatever it might be that would affect us, even in the midst of pain, of death, of suffering, that when those things happen to us, I don't believe that God is actively causing that to happen, but I believe that God is bringing good out of it that God is working in some way to bring good out of that painful situation. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that he believed that, that God brought good out of evil the way we wring water out of a washcloth. That, that God is taking that disease, that God is taking that death, that God is taking that pain from us and wringing it out and bringing good out of it. That this is the story of Jesus Christ, friends. This is the story of the entire Bible. That there was something out there that intended us to do us harm. But God is intending it for good. Friends, that is good news. So Joseph says, you intended to do me harm, but God intended it for good. And he says, in the midst of all of this, I will provide for you. And he says, I will provide for you. Have no fear, I will provide for you and your little ones in this way. He reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Here's the thing about Joseph. He forgave his brothers not because of what they did, but because of who they were. Right? There's no amount of actions that can undo what they did to Joseph. Uh, Joseph has been gone, some, some scholars say, for as long as like, maybe 25 years. And, and, and they say there's no amount of actions that can just undo the fact that he has spent this long a period away from home, that he has been away from home longer than he has been home. There is no amount of things that his brothers can do to undo that fact. That if Joseph was going to forgive them, he could only do it because they were children of God. 
And friend, we are empowered to do the same thing. Because what we learn throughout the entire Bible is that God's people are known for their forgiveness. That throughout the Bible, God's people are known by how they forgive others. There's this incredible thing happens, um, and, and if you ever have some spare time, um, do not read the book of Leviticus. Um, but you should, you should read, um, there, there's a few passages in that are, that are really incredible. Um, you can find just incredible gems in the book of Leviticus, these stories about how they are to provide for others. Uh, There's all these things about aliens and strangers and widows and all these people who can't fend for themselves. You should find that in there and read that. And and what we also read in there um, are, 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 are these years, they call them sabbatical years. Every seven years as a farmer, you were encouraged uh, to leave your land fallow, to, to leave it bare, to not plant in it for those seven years, and you'd go and plant somewhere else. And this was just good farming. This is what you did. And so sabbatical years, seven years, this, you would plant in this place, and then you wouldn't plant in there anymore, and then you would go and plant in another place. You'd do it seven years, and you do this over and over and over again. And, and you would do this seven times. So, so seven years times seven times is 49, and then there came a 50th year. There came a 50th year, and they, and they called this uh, the year of Jubilee. They called this the year of Jubilee, and so not only in that year did they let let that land go fallow, um, but in that time, in the year of Jubilee, they started to forgive debts. And this incredible thing happened where, where you went and you found people who owed you money, who you would loan money to, who could never pay you back, and you brought them before you and you had a meal together, and you sat across from the table with them, and in this year of Jubilee, you said, you are forgiven your debts. And, and you brought them and you ate this meal and this beautiful ceremony and this time in which this person owed you money they could never pay you back because it's been 50 years and, and they sat across the table from you and you said, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year of our Lord and so you are forgiven. And not only that, but you went and you got your slaves. These people who were indebted to you, who had sold themselves into slavery to you or somebody else had sold them to you and it was the year of Jubilee and you brought them before you and you sat across the table from them and you said, you are forgiven free. You are free because this is the year of Jubilee. This is the 50th year. You are free because this is the day that we forgive because God's people, friends, are known by their forgiveness. God's people are known by their forgiveness. What if that was true today? What if others, when they were asked, what do you think about Christians? What do you think about these people who follow Christ? What if they said, I know that they are quick to forgive? That I have a feeling if you went out and asked somebody, what do you think about Christians? You would not hear that response. But friends, we are people who follow a Savior. Who follow a Savior that, that when He was on the cross, that when He had experienced the worst persecution this world has ever known, And when he experienced torture, all for a crime he didn't commit. That when he could say one word, when he could do one thing and be free from all this, because he was God himself. He came to this world, he taught, he ate with sinners, he did all of these things, this incredible ministry, and it was all brought to an end by the cross, by by these Roman guards, and he's there hanging on a cross between two criminals. One of them is making fun of him at the same time, and as he's there on the cross experiencing this awful pain, he says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And here's the thing, friends, those Roman guards, all of those people who were jeering at him, make fun of him, they were not in that time asking for Jesus to forgive them. 
Because here's the truth about honest forgiveness, that sometimes we're going to have to forgive people who don't ask for it. Because friends, we can't carry around this baggage anymore. Now there might be somebody in your life today that you are called to simply forgive, to let it go. Because this, this list keeping, this tally making, this baggage that we carry of all these wrongs that have ever been done to us, friends, that is not a way to live. That Christ said he came to give us life in abundance, right? Not just to live this average life, this okay life, this life that everyone else is living. He said, I came that you might have it in abundance. And that means we're called to forgive. We're called to let it go so that we can really have this abundant life that Christ died for. Now, now, I want to make sure that we know that, that forgiveness is not the same thing as acceptance. That there are some people who have hurt us so deeply, so purposefully, friends, and it would not be wise to let them back in. Now, forgiveness is not the same thing as acceptance, but we are called to forgive them. We are called to do that. If not for their sake, for ours. Because, friends, we can't keep this life up. This list-keeping is no way to live. And so I, I would encourage you, friends, to forgive and, and consider these your action steps like, for this week and for your entire life to simply forgive, and for a couple of reasons. Um, so consider these your action steps. Um, forgive because our salvation depends on it. This is something Jesus was very clear about, that, that when Jesus came and he was teaching his disciples, one of them asked, you know, teach us how to pray. Um, what do we say when we don't even have the words to pray? And he said uh, the Lord's Prayer and he, he said, pray that in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he said, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And he keeps going. He keeps explaining this. And he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now listen, friends. This was Jesus, and he couldn't have been more clear. He said, if you forgive others, God will quick, be quick to forgive you. But if you do not, God will not be so quick. That if others are going to understand the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, who better to show it to them than the people who claim to follow him? That if we go out and we tell others, I believe in Jesus, and say, what does that mean? And they say, well, I had racked up all these sins in my life, done all these things wrong in my life, but Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died for me and told me that I am forgiven, that none of those things define me, and that being a child of God defines me, and that, that Jesus ha has died for me, has forgiven my sins. That's what it means for me to be a follower of Christ, that, that Jesus has forgiven my sins. And then they say, will you forgive me also? And you say, no. Well, they're going to question whether or not we really believe in Jesus Christ, right? Whether or not we really believe that his death was forgiveness for us, and not only for us, but for the entire world. And Jesus says that if you are slow to forgive others, that if you don't forgive others, God is going to question whether or not you really believed in Jesus, whether or not you really believe in the forgiveness of God. So we should be quick to forgive others, friends. One of the reasons is because our salvation depends on it. Another reason is because we learned through our baptism. We learned through our baptism, what we learned is that, that, that in our baptism, we learned that God claimed us long ago, that, that God has been constantly showing us grace, showing us love. God has been constantly pouring that out to us. And in our baptism, we recognize that we are a child of God. And we experience this new birth. 
Uh, some call it our Christian birthday when we're baptized, that this is, this is a new day of our life. This is one of the first days of our life where we have claimed Jesus Christ as our Lord, that we have claimed that we are a child of God. And not only us, not only us, friends, we not only believe that we are a child of God, but each and every person that we meet is a child of God that God created with a special purpose in mind. We believe this. And we learn it through, through the story of Jesus that when he was baptized in the Jordan by John, uh, that the heavens opened up and he heard these words, that this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. What if we believed? What if we truly believed that each and every person we meet is a beloved, is a son or daughter of God? That even those people we don't like, right, even those other people, those, those neighbors that stay up too long, that, that, that person at work that just really gets on our nerves, those, those people in those other countries who look a little different than us, who do things different than us, what if we believed that they were sons or daughters of God, that God has looked at them and called them beloved? How much quicker would we be to forgive them? Because, friends, we are not our bad decisions. We are children of God. And the good news is this, that, that when God's children make bad choices, they are still God's children, friends. That when God's children make bad choices, they are still God's children. And we are to treat them the same way. One of the stories of forgiveness that I learned that I'll never forget is... Uh, from a man named Daryl Burton. Uh, when I was in seminary, I went up to Kansas City to take a week-long class, and, and, uh, and Daryl was there. And, and it was a small class that I was in, about 12 people, and, and we sat in this U-shape. And, and, and Daryl came into the class, and everybody else was already there, kind of standing around and uh, around their chair. And Daryl walked by and introduced himself to e- each and every classmate and the professor. And he would walk around and he would do this thing and, and he introduced himself to me and he said, hey, I'm Daryl. And I would say, hi, I'm Andy. And he would say, you and I are forgiven. That's an interesting way to introduce yourself, Daryl. And, and I would just say, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's right. And he would introduce himself to the next person. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm Daryl. And that person would say, you know, hi, I'm Daniel. And he would say, you and I are forgiven. He did this 12 times and then again to the professor. And then we all sat down and and the professor said, you know, there, there's only 12 people in this class. Um, why don't you just take a minute and, and introduce yourself to the rest of the class and, and say who you are and, and a little bit of your story. And so we all started to share, you know, and said, you know, where we were, um, you know, what our names were and, and, uh, and our families. And most of us were, um, you know, uh, pastors at the time, so we said where we were serving. And then it came time for Daryl to share his story. And Daryl said, in, in 1984, a drug dealer was shot to death at a gas station in St. Louis, Missouri. The man who shot him was a light-skinned African-American male, 5'5 five, five in height. And police looked for suspects, and even though Daryl was dark-skinned and 5'10 in height, he was summoned to a police lineup. Two men came forward, identifying Daryl as the murderer. Both were awaiting trial, but were given a lighter sentence if they testified that Burton was guilty. Daryl was assigned a public defender who spent only an hour with him before his trial, and the jury convicted him in less than an hour. Daryl found himself being sentenced 
to life in prison without parole. Darrow was wrongly imprisoned for 24 years. His daughter was six months old when he was imprisoned. By the time he got out, his daughter was an adult. And I'd never met him. Daryl remained in prison from 1984 to 2009 and spent many of those days in the prison law library dedicating to proving his innocence. He wrote over 600 letters to members of government, nonprofit organizations to plead his case. However, it was not until he followed Christ that he began to experience change. Daryl discovered that anger and hate can be another prison. And that Jesus said we must love our enemies and pray for them and forgive them. That Jesus said we must love our enemies and pray for them and forgive them. He said, until I read Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Until he read those words, he said, I didn't think that it was possible. Ten years prior to Daryl's exoneration, he felt emotionally and spiritually freed. He said, God had to work something out of me, bitterness and hatred, in order to work something into me, love and grace, in order to do his work. Daryl is now a pastor and a public speaker, and he goes throughout the entire country talking about the power of forgiveness. That Daryl has met with many people, as many people involved in his, his trial as possible so that he can sit across the table from them and say, I forgive you. And now he goes throughout the country talking about forgiveness. Friends, this type of forgiveness changes the world. Friends, list keeping and tally making, this carrying this baggage does not change the world. It keeps the world exactly the same. But if we choose to forgive, others might experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ through us. And then, only then, friends, will it start to change the world. I am Andy. And you and I are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your love and forgiveness. And God, we pray that as you send down your Holy Spirit to us now, God, your power, your power to us, we pray that it would encourage us not only to be forgiven, God, to repent, to, to ask for forgiveness of sins, Lord, but that in this time, Lord, you would give us that same power to go out into this world and forgive to forgive, God, to let go of those wrongs that have been done to us, not because of what someone else has done, not because their actions have undone the pain done to us, Lord, but because they are one of your sons or daughters, Lord, that because they are one of your children, Lord, and you have called them beloved. We pray for this, God, and we need it so desperately, Lord, because it's only through this power of forgiveness that we can actually live the life that you have called us to, Lord, that we can actually live this not just plain life, this average life, God, but so that we can have life and have it in abundance, Lord, we pray for it. God, we, we ask for this. And we ask it in Jesus' name, who came and who taught us even how to pray.
by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.